And we have two uh, readings this morning. The first is from John's Gospel, John chapter 20. together from verse 10. John 20, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying, As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Amen. Now let's turn just a page or two pages on to Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen. Let's. Well, one day when I was a wee boy, I was taken to the park by my mum, Barshaw Park in Paisley. And uh, it's hard to believe now, but in those days I had too much energy and not enough things to spend my energy on. So I would just run, not because I was in uh, a rush or a hurry or late for an appointment. I would just run because I could. And so I was running about this park and I asked my mum for permission to go way over to where the next hill was in Barshaw Park. And she reluctantly gave me permission to do this. Uh, now, if her version of events is to be believed, I ran further than my mum had, had given me permission to do so. And when I turned round to my shock and horror, I couldn't see her anymore. And so I looked around, surveyed the scene, and then ran back in what I thought was the direction that I had come from. Um, and my mum, obviously panicking at her end, ran to where I had gone. I don't know if we missed each other, but it took maybe five or ten minutes for us to find each other. And I can safely say that they were five or ten minutes. Uh, that felt like an eternity for me as a wee boy in that big park all alone. Prolonged panic. And I remember... After the pro prolonged panic, I remember the relief as I saw my mum kind of bounding towards me. I remember the relief. I remember the reunion and the elation of that moment. The relief, the reunion, you want a third point beginning with R. The relief, the reunion, and then the rebuke. As my mum assured me of her love for me, then shook me as if she wanted my eyebrows to fall off and said, don't ever do that to me again. Stay by my side. And there is a, a kind of similarly more moving scene. Uh, but that story, uh, that, that Barshaw Park story, makes me think of this chapter in Scripture. Uh, John chapter 20, this uh, meeting between Mary Magdalene and the risen Lord Jesus. I don't think any of us can imagine the, the darkness of Mary Magdalene's life before she met with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, scripture tells us that she was um, tormented by seven demons. And the number seven in Scripture means perfection. You may have heard that, but in the sense of completeness. 
So there is a sense in which Mary Magdalene is presented to us as one who is completely bound up by this darkness, by this demonic um, work in her life. And then she meets the Lord Jesus and he sets her fully and wonderfully free. And from that moment on, really, there is no one in Scripture who has such a clear and such a consistent love for the Lord Jesus as she does. She meets Jesus, he changes everything, she is set free, and then her love for the Lord is crystal clear for all to see. There she is at the cross. When others have betrayed him or abandoned him, there she is. There she is at the tomb, just to find the body in the hope of gaining some crumb of comfort from caring for the Lord's body. And even when he's not there, and when others leave and go to their homes, there she is again. She just cannot bring herself to walk away, even when all seems lost. And then she turns and she meets him. And I wonder how she felt in that moment. The Bible doesn't uh, tell us. All she wanted was to find the body. And now she meets the man himself. What does she want to do? Well, surely to kiss him, to hug him, to hold him, to tell him to never do that to her again, never leave her alone again. Maybe you've never experienced my Barshaw Park moment as a child, but maybe you've had that experience as a parent. You've had that moment of panic and then you've been reunited and you've rejoiced and you've hugged and you've wept and you've assured your child of your undying love for them and then you've, like my mum did all those years ago, grabbed him and said, don't ever do that again. Stay by my side. That's what Mary must have wanted. To cling, to keep, to hold. It's understandable. But Jesus says in verse 17, do not hold on to me. I think the King James Version says, do not touch me, which is maybe a better kind of literal translation, but the NIV captures what's actually going on here. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. It's not really that Mary can't touch the risen Lord. He invites Thomas to touch him just a few verses later. It's that she can't hold on to him. Don't cling on to me, Mary, because I have to go again. Don't get too used to this. I'm sure that wouldn't have seemed like good news to Mary in that moment that the Lord Jesus was going to go again, that she was not to cling on to him, not to hold on to him. And what is going on? Why is this what Jesus tells Mary? Why did Jesus tell his his followers, his disciples, that he would have to leave them and where he was going they could not come? 
Is it because his short-term mission was over and he's going back to the comfort of heaven to forget about us and about the terrible experiences he had in this world? Does he now stand aloof and distant and indifferent to the world today? The Bible is clear, Jesus is clear, that his leaving us was and is good news for his followers. It won't lead to less of Jesus, it will lead to more of Jesus. It's not a cause for sorrow, it's a cause for joy. Why? Well, we took our first look at this, you know, nearly 40 days ago on Easter Sunday evening. Why is the ascension good news? Why does it matter and why should it give us cause to thank and to praise God? It was a long time ago, so we'll cover some old ground here. We looked, you'll remember, at Daniel's dream. We get this glorious vision of God himself. And then Daniel says, this is Daniel 7, verse 13, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, a human being, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel, in his dream, sees God And then he sees one like a son of man, which became a messianic title that the Lord Jesus took, but it just means a human being. One like a son of man is led into the presence of God, coming with clouds, and he is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. He is worshipped by people from every nation and he is made to rule over a kingdom that will never come to an end. That's the scene that Daniel uh, paints for us. When we look at Luke's account in Acts chapter 1, he records a scene kind of from below. So Luke records Jesus being taken up and being covered by the clouds. And, in, and Daniel's picture is of Jesus coming with the clouds into heaven to take his place at the right hand of God the Father. Why is this good news? Firstly, it's good news because all of us can know the Lord's presence and his power. Jesus ascended to heaven so he could send the Spirit into the world. If he was still constrained by life lived as a man on this earth, then some of us would maybe get to meet him. But not many of us. There would be a small percentage of people who would get a fleeting moment with the Lord. And there would inevitably be two classes of Christian. There would be those who have met the Lord Jesus, albeit probably just in passing, you know, an audience with Him for a moment. And then there would be those second-class Christians who had never met Him, never known His presence. 
Imagine the effect on evangelism and on mission. The more people that would come to faith in Christ, the less chance there is that we would ever get to see Him, to meet Him, to hear His voice. There would be some churches that would be special churches that Jesus had visited and some churches that Jesus had never visited because He's subject to the limitations of being a man in this world. But now that the Lord Jesus has ascended on high, now that His Spirit has been poured out into the world upon His people, we can all meet Jesus. As the Spirit of God brings His presence to bear, we can all know His presence. We can all know His power at work in our lives through His Spirit. Every church in the world can gather on the Lord's day and sing as we did this morning, be still for the presence of the Lord, the Holy One, is here. We can all know the Lord's presence and the Lord's power because He has sent His Spirit into the world. Secondly, Jesus is vindicated. The ascension is good news because Jesus is vindicated. Rome rejects Jesus. We should not be surprised that this great pagan empire rejects Jesus. Jesus' own people reject Jesus. The Jews reject Jesus. The Jews demand, as promising as things looked on the day of the triumphal entry, the Jews demand that Jesus, the Christ, be crucified. And even from within the twelve, from within his own select band of followers, there is betrayal, there is denial, there is desertion. The world's verdict on Christ was clear, but the ascension reminds us that it's God's verdict that matters most, and his voice stands in stark contrast to the voice of the world. The world rejects Jesus, but God the Father shows us what He makes of the Lord Jesus Christ as He not only raises Him to life, but He raises Him in order to give Him the place of most honor, in order to invite Him to take His seat at the Father's right hand. Jesus is vindicated. And with that, the way of Jesus is vindicated. So you may remember we looked at Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he, he wants to encourage them to love one another, to care for one another, to put each other's needs ahead of their own needs. And the way he does that is to point to the example of Jesus but not just to point to the example of Jesus, to point to the example of Jesus and then to remind the Philippians of what God made of the way that Jesus lived his life. Paul says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. So he says to these believers, humble yourselves, lift each other up, love each other, serve each other, look to the way that Jesus lived his life. But he goes further. He says, verse 9 of Philippians 2, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. So the world may have thought that the way that the Lord Jesus lived his life was foolish or laughable. The world may have mocked him. The world may have murdered him. But in the ascension we see that God is pleased with Jesus. And Paul says, look to that and live your life in the way that your Lord lived his life on earth. Jesus is vindicated. The way of Jesus is vindicated. And we are reminded that it's God's verdict, it's God's voice that matters most in the end. We thought a a wee bit about how wonderful it is to have a king like Jesus. We have, I believe, a good monarch in the queen, but she doesn't know us personally. She hasn't met most of us. I think probably any of us. You can correct me if I'm wrong at the end. She doesn't know us personally, nor does she love us. But the King of kings and Lord of lords knows us. He is with us all of the time. And he loves us perfectly. It's important that we also remember to go one step further. Still, not only does he know us, not only is he with us by his spirit, not only does he love us, but we must also remember that he is one of us. Jesus, after his resurrection, was clearly a man, a man in a body, a glorified body, a body that was in some way different from the way it was before, but a body uh, all the same. He ate food with his disciples. He invited them to touch him and to see that he was real. Luke 24, 36, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And when he is taken up to heaven, he goes as a man with a body, a glorified body. His ascension shows us that human beings can dwell with God again. He has led the way back into the presence of God. Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Our citizenship, says Paul, is in heaven, 
and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Tim Chester says, the Son of God Himself has a body, not as a historical convenience, but as a permanent presence in heaven. See what he's saying there? He didn't come to wear a body for 33 years and then take it off to go back up to heaven. He hasn't removed his humanity there is humanity there right now. Humanity in the presence of God, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which leads us to our final point. Last time we thought about Christ as our risen and ascended King. Today I want to close by thinking about Christ as our risen and ascended priest. What is a priest's job? In essence, a priest's job is to go before God on behalf of a people and to intercede, to represent those people to Him. I've been a football fan for a long time now, and let me tell you, there are not many football songs that I would be happy at quoting uh, from the pulpit or from anywhere else, to be honest. Um, but I'm going to quote a football song that seems appropriate uh, to me this evening and you'll be pleased to know it's not tied to one particular football club I think fans of all club have at one point or another sung this song uh, the lyrics are very simple I won't subject you to my singing but it simply uh, lists or, or, or uh, articulates the name of the player concerned and then it says He's one of our own. So, a couple of seasons ago, Harry Kane burst onto the scene at Tottenham, and the crowd, where did, where did Tottenham play? Can anyone remember? White Hart Lane, thank you very much, Tom. Couldn't remember. The, the crowd at White Hart Lane uh, took to themselves this song. You know, He's one of our own. He's one of our own. He's one of our own. Harry Kane, he's one of our own because they believed that Harry Kane was one who had been brought up on their streets and their community, supporting their club, come through the, the, the youth ranks, and they were able to look at Harry Kane wearing their strip, wearing their badge, fighting for their cause, representing their people, and to sing with joy, Harry Kane, he's one of our own. And they sang that uh, right up until someone found a picture of him as a wee boy wearing an arsenal top and then the bubble the bubble was burst unfortunately but it's a great feeling to see someone imagine uh, you knew someone in Airdrie or maybe a neighbor someone living in your street you saw this person kind of kicking about the same streets that you walk maybe went to the same school to Caldervale or to Airdrie Academy and then you know you hear that he's a good footballer and in time, he plays for the mighty Airdrieonians. And you can go along to New Brimfield or uh, wherever he's playing to see you. And you can stand with the vast 
throng of Airdrionians uh, and you can sing he's one of our own. You see him there, this guy who's walked the same streets as you, this guy from the same community as you, wearing your badge, wearing your shirt, fighting your fight, representing your people. He's one of our own. Well, we can look to heaven and find a human being because the Lord Jesus is still fully human and fully God, a human being. We can look to heaven. We can look to the right hand of the Father, no less, and say, He's one of our own. The Lord Jesus Christ, humanity in the presence of God, representing interceding. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus is the new and better Moses. You remember Moses was hidden by the cloud as he ascended the mountain on behalf of the people of God, pointing forward to the one who was to come, to Jesus who ascended through the cloud into the presence of God as the perfect priest to represent his people. The priest who offered the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself to the Lord, the priest who would never die. The perfect priest is at the right hand of the Father, one of our own, interceding for us, like us in every way, yet without sin. Robert Murray McShane said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. He is presenting before the Father His finished work. And so there is no fear of condemnation for those of us who are to be found in Christ this evening. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. What joy and what courage we ought to take from the ascension of our Lord. He is able to sympathize. He is able to serve by means of his kingly rule and reign and by his priestly prayer for his people. He is able to sympathize. He is able to serve and he is able to save. And so we rejoice together as we stand to sing our closing hymn before the throne of God above.